let's go uh, in the, our Bibles this morning to once again to Isaiah um, chapter 51, our golden text in this series. And uh, it's uh, amazing how quick these series go. This is number four already. We did a, one on powerful, effective, powerful prayer for nine weeks. And uh, we've been on this. This will be our fourth week on supernatural hope, getting your hopes up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much for that which you've planned for this service. We thank you, Lord, for bringing it forth. Uh, my mind will be filled with your thoughts and that you'll give me utterance, Lord, that we'll hear words from heaven today that will change our lives, Father, and totally alter the course of our destination. Praise the Lord for the good in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, We've been looking at this verse as a springboard text to go forth, you know, from here about supernatural hope. And this is, of course, talking about Abraham and Sarah. And I just want to read. There's some scriptures I'm going to go over again that we covered last week, but we're going to it'll take a little different angle, okay? Uh, because we didn't. There's some further revelation here. But in Isaiah 51 verses one, it says, "Hearken unto me," Isaiah wrote, "that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord." Look unto the rock from which you are hewn or quarried, and the hole in the pit from which you are digged. Someone says, can you dig it? <laughs> Amen. Look unto Abraham, your father, and to Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone, blessed him, and increased him. Praise God. So we're, we see from this scripture right here that we are to... Uh, it didn't say we're to look to Moses. Of course, we can learn from Moses, you know, and some of the other people in the Old Testament, even David, you know. But it says right here that we are to look unto Abraham and we're to look unto Sarah. Praise the Lord. And there's, a re there's reason for us to do that, okay? Let's go over once again to Romans, uh, Romans chapter 4. Uh, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Praise the Lord. Brother Glenn, could you raise that temperature about one degrees in here, if, if possible? Okay. And in, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is referring to, of course, Abraham and Sarah. We've seen this scripture the last few weeks here. But we have to read this again. At verse 18 says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, so if you could be weak in faith, you can be strong in faith, right? Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now in order to be strong in faith, you have to consider some things but you have to not consider other things, okay? It all, all depends what we're looking at, right? And it says he considered, he was, verse 19, he was not weak in faith. Why? He considered not his own body, now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Praise the Lord. So he had two strikes against him. He had his own body, which was too old to have children, and his wife's body that was too old to have children. When it says they were dead, that, that didn't mean they were six foot under, right? It just meant that they were beyond the years 
of being their reproductive organs, right? Are you with me now? But they had a word from God. And when you have a word from God, it will surpass and overcome natural laws, okay? For example, in the natural, you know, you have, uh, you know, how many have ever flown on an airplane before? Okay. Well, there's certain laws that govern, you know, the airline industry, airplanes, you know. And there's the law of thrust and lift, right? And uh, that overcomes the laws of gravity. It doesn't do away with it. It overcomes the laws of gravity. The scripture tells us in the book of Romans that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has over has, has uh, uh, overcome the law of sin and death. Amen. So there's certain laws, and the law of faith. Even the Bible even talks about the law of faith that Paul talks about. The laws of the govern faith overcome natural laws. In this case of aging, okay. And it says, uh, he staggered not, verse 20, it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Before even she even conceived, he gave glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And it says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him. It was written for us. Praise God. Now we can see here who against natural hope, the natural hope was you can't have children, you're too old, your wife is too old. Matter of fact, they didn't have kids when they were in their younger years, when they were out of the age where they could conceive. They didn't have kids then. What makes them think that they're going to conceive and have children and yet become the father of many nations in their older years? Okay? Right? Well, they had a word. From who? The devil? Mm-mm. From God. God came along and said, you're going you're to be the father of many nations, you know. And, and, you know, he was 75 years old when the Lord appeared to him and told him this. And Isaac wasn't born until he was 100. Are you with me? And Sarah was 90. Sarah was 90 years old when she had Isaac. All right? So where did that 25 years go? Well, until God changed his name... And then it changed his image, Abram, Abraham. God put his initial, his Hebrew letter in there for both of their names, you know, which meant they had a covenant with God. And Abraham meant, and names back then have meaning, okay, significance. Abraham, father of a multitude, father of many nations. Sarah, princess, mother of the nations, praise the Lord. And so with, when God changed their name, within a year, here comes baby Isaac. Are you with me now? And it says that he considered not his own body. Well, the Bible says that we are, con- in the book of Hebrews, it says we are to consider him, Jesus. We're to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. So when it comes to faith, there's certain things we have to not consider, but there's other things we need to consider. For, for us to be developed strong, God wants all of us to be strong in faith. Amen. And it's not rocket science. It's not like you need this four-year degree or anything like this. Okay? It's just simply trusting God, taking God at His word. 
considering His Word above all things. Now, I wrote down here that true biblical hope is a positive expectation of a certain outcome in any situation. Amen? And we see that biblical hope can only come from God. Okay? And it's amazing to me how God will show you things in advance before it happens to keep you on track, to keep you stable in your minds, because the Bible talks about lest you be wearied and faint in what? In your mind, not your heart. Amen? Do you know you can have faith in your heart but doubt in your head? Because head has to do with what you're looking at, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. Praise the Lord. But then God will come along and He'll put a word inside your heart of a divine hope of something that hasn't happened yet in the natural. Okay? That's, what we're to, that's how we're to be governed by faith as we walk by faith and not by what we see, not by sight. Amen? If we walk by sight, we walk in fright. <laughs> Amen? We're not, we're not to be walking by sight, governed by what we see. Praise the Lord. Amen? I know God has a plan for all of us individually. God has a good plan. He has a good plan for every single human being. Now, as far as they were concerned, they're past the age of doing anything. They're not looking for a nursing home. They're not looking for a rocking chair. God comes along and instills within them a vision at their age. So sometimes the devil thinks he'll tell us it's too late in the game. You know, too much time has lapsed. You might as well forget it. You know what I'm saying? And give you a bleak picture of your future, which is not hope. That's a worldly hope. So against natural hope that they couldn't have kids, God changed their name and said, you're a father of many nations. So their inner image had to change. Had to change, right? Now, here's where we'll pick up where we left off last week. True biblical hope and faith rest in the finished work of God. True biblical hope and faith rest in the finished work of God. The second thing I want to say here is we start, here's what came to my spirit when I was praying over this this week, we start at the finish line, at the uh, finish line, right? Just a few hours before you got here this morning, there was a, uh, there was a uh, marathon here in Pittsburgh. Was it 26.3 miles, something like that? Is that how long it is? Okay, yeah. I'll drive that far. But you know, there's a, there's a starting line and there's a finish line. Okay, to run that race lawfully and legally, you have to start at the beginning and then finish to say, I finished the race. But you know what Jesus did? He started the race for us. He finished the race and he handed us the reward. We walk up to the finish line and said, I did the race. Does that make sense? Now, wait a minute. You, you didn't run the race. Yeah, Jesus ran it for us. He did it for us. 2,000 years ago. He completed the race. Amen? The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross with joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. How in the world would you endure the cross? You know how brutal the Romans were in their crucifixion? And see, you have to understand back then, the Romans were so mean and so brutal and so demonically influenced 
that they would make a spectacle of people by crucifying them on a main road, and that's where Jesus was crucified, on the main road underneath Skull Hill, okay, where the place of the skull, that's where he was crucified. And there are places on there. See, some people think that they put those, you know, a wooden thing, a plaque on the back of the cross. It wasn't there. It was in a wall. It was big, okay? And I could, I could show. If I had time, I'd show it with you. But they carved out niches in a, in a stone wall that was already there, okay? And they would place these big placards. They would sit them on a shelf. It was a shelf. It wasn't above the cross. They would sh- put them on a shelf. In this case, there was three different languages. Of course, there was three uh, people that were crucified. Jesus in the middle and two thieves on either side, right? And so this is a public road. Right now there's a bus station there. Can you believe that? A doggone bus station. Port Authority buses everywhere, you know. That's where Jesus was crucified, right there. And it was a main road and people would take that and they would look and they say, I sure don't want to obey the Roman government because I could end up there. And they would try to put fear in the people. They would do it that way. You, you see what I'm saying? But the Bible says Jesus endured the cross with joy. How could he do that? How could he do that? If you're looking at the immediate, you wouldn't have any joy. You wouldn't. I mean, you think about Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus, right? Jesus on the cross is not thinking about himself. <laughs> That's our Savior. He's, our, he's my champion. Amen. Oh, my goodness. You know? And initially, both of the thieves were at, making accusations at him, right? It says that in one of the Gospels. Both of them. But then one repented in the middle of that thing. What made him repent? Well, Jesus said out loud, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's not even thinking of himself. Think about the pain. And by the way, the Roman crucifixions were not through the palms of the hands. They were through the wrist. Because if they put them through the, the, they found previous people that were crucified, and they found the nail right through the wrist, right here. Okay? Because if they put it through the hands, it would rip through there, and their hands would come off, the weight of the body. So they would put it in here so the bone would keep it up. Either way is bad. Are you with me? But Jesus said, hanging on that cross in sheer pain, can you imagine the pain, the agony that it was in? And he said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. And it was at that point, I believe, that the other thief on the cross said, there's no way this can be a regular human being. And he looked over and he said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Remember that? He's thinking about the other guy when he's on the cross. And the Lord he turned over to him. He says, today, I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, do you think it happened? It sure did. Amen. Matter of fact, here's something else that happened. The apostle John was the only apostle that was there at the crucifixion site. And he basically told John to take care of his mother. He said, behold, my mother. Remember that? Even on the cross, even in his sufferings, he's thinking about other people. Think about that. Oh, man. Praise God. That's the Jesus that lives on the inside of us. Amen? But you think about, it said he endured the cross with joy for the hope that was set before him. He endured the cross. Well, what was the hope that was set before him was 
He knew the end result of you and me coming to him, coming into the kingdom of God. Because just a few short days later, after his resurrection, the Holy Ghost came and got people born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and now the end result has already begun to take place. And ever since that time, every single day, Satan's kingdom is dwindling more and more and more and more because more people are coming to Jesus. There's more people born again on this planet now than there ever has been since the time of Christ. Amen? Now the devil doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think things are, oh, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. But no, the kingdom of God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Amen? Amen? And, uh, and sometimes, I say all that to say this, sometimes when we go through stuff, we're looking at the immediate. Now, if Jesus would have looked at the immediate, there's no way he would have had joy and peace. Even in his sufferings. Now, it's interesting. I was looking at a documentary, and there's a few that are, I'm sure, quite a few that are out there, a, doc, a documentary on the, um, the Shroud of Turin. And I believe that's real. How many of you ever saw that before, the Shroud? And, and they were able to capture, you know, with technology, 3D images of Christ's face and everything. And the one guy that was doing this documentation said, look at the peace that's on his face. He didn't look like he was in agony. He had, like, peace on his face, even in his death. Because Jesus knew what was going to come, and that's what kept him motivated. It was supernatural hope of you and I coming into the kingdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? And had you and I been the only person on the earth, he still would have came. God still would have sent Jesus Christ to die just for us. That's how much he loves us. Isn't that wonderful? So everything, we start the, the, the completed work of God. Now, we gave this illustration last week, and I'll just mention it because of time, because uh, I don't want to keep going backwards. But you know that in the creation, in the book of Genesis, we find that there are six days in which God created everything, Right? On the seventh day, God rested, not because he was tired, because he was finished, okay? But on the sixth day, you know, the other days there was, you know, the trees, the animals, those things of that nature. But on the sixth day, um, God created the animal kingdom, but he also created man. But the last thing that he created in the book of Genesis was humanity, was us, okay? And we use this illustration how that everything was finished completed before he put man in the Garden of Eden. In other words, it was a turnkey situation, right? You just walk into it. It's a finished work. Now, God could have created Adam on the first day, the second day, but he didn't. He created everything first. He made everything perfect, beautiful. And then he says, now I'm going to put man, the crown of creation, in the Garden of Eden. Hallelujah. Now, this is a type and a shadow of our redemption in the New Testament that Jesus completed at the cross of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, go to Romans chapter 10 once again. Everything about our redemption was completed 2,000 years ago before even any of us were a speck on this earth. All right? That's, God prepares ahead of time, just like in creation. Well, in the new birth, he did it all before we were born. My, my, my. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I think what I'm about to share here, if we understand correctly about the finished work of redemption, 
faith becomes easy to receive because we're not trying to get God to do something which he's already done. It's already completed. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about that because we're to enter into the rest of what God has already completely done for us. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul said, My uh, brother, my heart's desire, prayer for God and Israel is this, that they might be saved. You know, Paul being a Jew, you know, he had, man, I want to, he said some, he said also in Romans, he says, I, I love Israel so much, I wish I could become a curse so they could be blessed. He had a love for them, you know, after he was saved. And then it says in verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, the Jews, the Jews, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they've gone about to establish their own righteousness, and they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So what did the Jews do? What did the, what did the Jewish nation do? They got the law of Moses. They thought the law is what saved them. That's their mistake. That's where they missed it. They think if we keep the law, then we're going to be okay with God. That's what they were thinking. But the Bible is clearly very clear about how that the law was given to show man that he has missed it, that he has sinned. Amen? It's not given to curb people's sin nature, okay? The law was given, the Bible says the law was our schoolmaster in Galatians that showed, pointed us the way to the Savior because none of us kept the law. The scripture even says if we've kept the whole law and it, it missed it at one point, we're guilty of all. So really, in reality, the whole human race is guilty. <laughs> and we need a Savior. But keeping the Ten Commandments isn't going to save us. And that's, what, that's where Jesus had to come and turn the cart upside down with them. And that's why they got so offended, because they were leaning on Moses' law for their salvation. Right? But let's go on to say here, for Moses, verse 5 says, For Moses described the righteousness, of, which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Verse 6, here's where I want to get into this. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word of God is nigh thee or near thee. How close? Even in thy mouth and in thine heart. Notice it's in your mouth first and then your heart. Amen? In your heart and in your mouth, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, Kelly, can you bring up on cha uh, same chapter, verse 6 in the NLT and let's look at this, the New Living Translation. That's Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. And it says this. But faith, faith's way of getting right with God says, Do not say in your heart, Who shall go up to heaven to bring Christ down to the earth? And don't say, Who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back, from the, uh, back from, to life again? In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. The message, the very message of faith which we preach. Okay? Now, we know this scripture. We use this when it comes to getting people born again and saved and what have you, you know. But in essence, what, we know what, what Paul is saying right here 
that when a person gets saved, it's in your heart and in your, it's that close to you. It's not like every time a person gets saved, does Jesus have to jump out of heaven, get back on the cross, die, go to hell, be raised up again? Does he have, he doesn't have to do that, does he? So it, it's finished. Say it is finished. That's what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. He closed, last thing he said, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. Amen? It's a finished work of redemption. Bless the Lord. So the message of the plan of salvation has already been completed. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. Praise the Lord. Jesus even talked about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We need to be very careful about what we say because words are the governor that controls our life. Amen? I don't care how expensive groceries get. Are you with me? I don't care how expensive fuel gets. I don't care how things look in the natural. God is our source. Are you with me now? Right? So, gas could be 15 bucks a gallon. Who's going who's gonna to supply that for us? The Lord is. Amen? You ought to smile a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Why? Because the Lord's going to take care of us. He's going to, has He taken care of you up to this point? Okay. You're not living on the street. All right? He's taking care of you. Well, I got news for you. Things are going to get better. Amen? That's what I heard in my spirit over the last couple of nights in prayer. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, Keith, it may look bleak. It may look dark out there. But I tell you, I tell you, things are getting better for my people. And I'm telling you that so that you get your hopes up and you keep your joy and not lose hope. Amen? Now, it's interesting, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus wasn't insecure. How many of you, he was the most secure person that ever walked this earth. Jesus asked his disciples to get, a, get the response from them, not because he needed it, because he was insecure. I want to make that real clear. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What are people saying about me? Right? Remember that in Matthew chapter 16? He is not saying that to encourage himself to build up his esteem, his self-esteem. Not at all. He's trying to get a response out of them. And he, uh, you remember the question was put out there. Jesus made that available to them. And and they, so they spoke up and said, well, some say you're a John the Baptist risen from the dead. Some say you're Elijah the prophet risen from the dead. So I guess they believed in reincarnation, some of the people back then, right? These people are already gone, right? Well, it didn't seem to satisfy Jesus. He said, okay, so they're saying this, they're saying this, okay, man's opinion, right? Who do you say that I am? He's getting pointed here. He says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up. Now, sometimes it was good. Sometimes it wasn't. <laughs> but he was, you know, he, he jumped to the gun, so to speak, you know. He said, uh, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
You're the anointed one, the son of the living God. Well, Jesus said immediately to him and the other disciples heard it. He says, Simon, you are so blessed because flesh and blood didn't just reveal that information to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you, upon this rock, not Peter, the rock of revealed knowledge, revelation knowledge, I will build my church, ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know it wasn't Peter he was building the church on because the same chapter, he, Jesus talked about dying, going to the cross, and Peter rebuked him, said, be it far from you. And, and Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> he went from inflation to deflation. So it, it wasn't Peter that he was building the rock on. It was revelation knowledge, revealed knowledge that came from heaven. In other words, you know, you can get knowledge. You can go to a college. You can go to a school. You can get information, knowledge, but there's a difference between knowledge and revelation. When we have revelation, and the most important thing that we can have revelation of is Jesus. There's nobody that even compares to getting revelation of who he is right now. Amen? And so he told, he asked the disciples, well, Peter spoke up and said, you know, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter, Jesus went on to say, that's, the, that's how I'm going to build my body. That's how I'm going to build my church up is through revelation knowledge. In other words, Peter received information apart from the five senses. Who, where did he get it? Where did that download come from? From the Holy Ghost, from God. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Well, this is before the death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody's been born again yet, okay? But yet, the Lord imparted to Peter information from heaven that changed that day, that changed everything. He commended him for it. He said, Simon Barjona, he said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Which tells me this. This is why I'm saying this. The Holy Spirit, part of His ministry in, his earth, in the earth today is He teaches us all things and He shows us things to come and He brings all things to our remembrance. That's past, present, future. That's what He does. Well, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. Now, He doesn't show you everything at once because then you would just walk by sight, not by faith. But, there are certain things that he will place on the inside of your heart. He'll give you a picture, a glimpse of the future, what it holds. You're not there yet, but you're going there. You're driving down the road. You're a mile from your exit, but you can look down the road and you can see your exit a mile down the road. You're not there yet, but you're on the road to that destination. You see the exit. You see the sign. You're not there yet. How do you get there? You just keep driving. All of a sudden, you get off. You're there, right? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows you things to come to keep your mind stable in troubled times. Praise the Lord. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of believers that are bears of bad news. There was a... There was a uh, a movie that came out years ago, I think in the 80s, called Bad News Bears. Remember that? Well, there's a lot of ministries, not all of them, but some of them, 
that they're just bears of bad news. It's getting dark. It's getting ugly. It's, whoa, you know, the Antichrist is living in your backyard. <laughs> but for some reason, people like bad news. I don't, just like the newspaper, just like the news media. It's all bad news. It's all bad news. Who's got shot? Who got killed? Who got robbed? Who died in a car accident? It's all the bad, they amplify all the bad stuff that's so, on a, on a scale, it's so minute compared to everything else that's going on. But what do they do? They amplify the bad news and stick it in your face to the point you're afraid to drive. You're afraid to go out your door. Why? Something bad might happen to you. Let me tell you something. God has your number. He has you. He's able to keep you from stumbling, the Bible says, and protect you, right? So God wants to put, and I feel the Holy Spirit when I'm, I'm talking like this. I really feel his presence inside of me that God wants to get your hopes up about your future and the things that you face, though they may have lingered for quite some time. It's all about the change. It can change in a moment, praise the Lord. But see, in the process, this is where we get messed up sometimes. It's in the process, right? Well, can we give you chapter and verse? Okay. Well, in the book of Numbers, it says that the people became much discouraged. The Israelites, they became much discouraged because of the way, the process. God was taking them into a promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey where all things are met. He said, you're, he told me, he says, you're going to go and you're going to take over. You're going to have houses that you didn't build, wells that you didn't dig, vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to enter in and you're going to take it. It's going to be yours. You didn't work for it. It's like grace, right? God prepares ahead of time. And then he has you step into it. Hallelujah. But they got to looking at what they were seeing and hearing and all the field, the five senses, you know. And it says they became much, in Numbers chapter 23, they became much discouraged because of the way, because of the process. And they said, would to God that we died in Egypt, you know. And they began to murmur and complain about Moses, their leader, their pastor. And they began to complain about God. And they spoke against God. They spoke against Moses in their tents, they murmured, it says. They're in their tents. That's how they, they were like nomads, right? They would pick up, take up the tent stakes and move on to the next place. But God says, the Bible says, he heard them murmur in their tents. What does murmur mean? Complain. Oh, this horrible place, you know? I mean, they murmured. They were such murmurs. They would complain about God's provision of food and the manna, the quail right? The water that came out of the rock, you know, all this supernatural provision for them, and they still had the audacity to complain to God and to Moses about this provision. They said, we're tired of this light bread. We're tired of this manna. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 23 that God permitted, it did, now King James says sent, but he permitted fiery serpents to be sent among them. And many of the Israelites were bitten by the serpents and died. Right? Then, the, then they had the bright idea, oh, we've sinned against God. We've sinned against Moses. We better repent. Well, the snakes, these viperous snakes came out. Now, I submit this to you that those snakes had already been there. That's right. 
they were already in the wilderness, but they had no authority over the Israelites until they opened their mouth and they began to complain. And when they murmured and complained, God says, all right, I got to step back here, took his protective hand off of them. They were already there, but once he took his protective hand off of them, they opened up the door, neither give place to the devil. He's the snake, right? The serpents came out, bit them, so forth and so on, and many died. And so they said, all right, let's, let's do something about this. They came to Moses and said, we've sinned against God. We've sinned against you. Please do something for us. That would have been a great moment for Moses to say, well, yeah, you talked about me, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Moses, being the man that he was, he was the meekest man on the planet. The Bible says that in the book of Numbers. What a man, of, what a man after God's heart, Moses, you know. And the Lord, said, the Lord showed him a pole, and he said, he had to show them this. He said, showed him a pole. This pole had to be high enough for two million Israelites. There's over two million of them to see this pole. Put a brazen serpent around this pole. You remember the story. And the serpent is symbolic of Jesus becoming a curse on the cross. That's why in, in, in John chapter 3, as Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the pole of the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And this serpent was a type of Christ that became the curse. And the Lord told Moses, tell the Israelites, whoever beholds the serpent of brass, brass represents judgment, whoever beholds or stares or looks or fixes their attention on this serpent, they'll be healed of whatever problem they have. And so they did that. And any of the Israelites that were bitten and, and venom was flowing through their veins, normally it would be, they would be dead in moments. But all of a sudden, they're getting better. They're getting better. Because this serpent was a type of Christ. John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Okay? Now, it wasn't a mere glance. It was a continual stare. Whoever beholds the serpent. It's a, not just a mere glance. Like It's a continual stare. Gaze. Fix your attention on that. And as they did, they were healed. That, that serpent was a type of Christ. Amen? Well, if you go back up a little bit where this all started was, they got discouraged because of the process. And that's where most of us get discouraged. It's the process. Well, this has taken a whole lot longer than I thought it would. <clears throat> Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? I know there's been words spoken about our country and this and that, you know, and, and some people think that that's just a bunch of hogwash, you know. But let me tell you something. God has a bright future for this country. We all, we're in this country. This, in, this includes us, does it? Does it not? Amen? But see, the Holy Ghost, He knows things up ahead. Amen? One time the Lord spoke to me many years ago when, I was, when I, we first got married. It was in 1982, to be exact. No, it was this, this was 1984. And, and the Lord said about a situation I was facing, He said, if you would see things from my viewpoint, things wouldn't look so bad after all. Now, I heard that in my spirit. I didn't hear it audibly. I never heard the audible voice of God. I'm okay with that. If I have to, I will, Right? But I hear the voice of the Good Shepherd in my spirit, in my mind, like you do. And the Lord said, if you would see this thing from my vantage point, things wouldn't look so bad after all. 
And when the Lord spoke that to me, I could almost sense a smile on his face. Did you see it? No, but I, I, I sensed it. It was like a word of knowledge. I just knew the Lord was smiling when he said that. He was like, things won't look so bad if you see it from my perspective. And, and that, thing, that thing did turn around. It turned around. And it looked bleak. It looked bad. It looked horrible from the natural standpoint. But it turned around. But see, the Holy Spirit was all along. Matter of fact, almost a year before it happened, the Lord said, it's okay. It's going to work out. I got your back, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's going to work out. Now, I could have, I had a choice. I could have wrung my hands, been all worried, fretted the whole year. You know what I'm saying? But I, I started, and, I, and I'm not saying I got it overnight, but I began to just focus my attention on, okay, Lord, all right. The Bible says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Well, I didn't see God. I didn't look out there and see Him, but I heard His voice like you hear His voice inside my spirit saying, okay, things don't look so bad if you see it from my perspective, from my vantage point, from my viewpoint. Okay? Right? It's kind of like when you're in an airplane and you're 30-some, 35,000 feet up in the air. You have a different perspective than when you're on the ground. Right? You can be so high up, you can see the ocean, the land, the states, if you're so high up. Matter of fact, the higher up you go, the more you see. You can get so high up in the air, in the atmosphere, you can see the whole United States at one time. You can see shore to shore, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, right? Your perspective, how high up you go, it depends on how much you will see. Well, I submit this to you right now, that the Holy Ghost is in us, causing us to come up hither, come up higher, to see things from His perspective, so that our hearts won't be troubled, that our minds won't be troubled. We can have absolute joy and peace going through any test and any trial, because we know the outcome. We know how it's going to turn out if we're looking to Him. Amen? See, if we walk by sight, we walk by fright. If we're walking just by sight alone, natural sight, what we see, what we hear, our five senses, as we refer to, then we're in for a crash landing. Now, even these, you know, we're, what, a mile, a mile and a half away or two miles from the airport here, you know, and these big jetliners that fly, you know, um, primarily they use their radar to fly those things. They're not, you know, 100% flying by sight. They're not looking out and saying, okay, that looks familiar. Right? Because, you know, as well as I've taken off sometimes in storms, right? And it's all cloudy and you can't, you look, all you see is clouds, right? But the pilots are up there smiling away. They know what they're doing because why? They're looking at a radar screen and the radar screen shows them things that their natural eyes don't see. Are you with me? They have confidence. They see things that the natural naked eye doesn't see. Okay? This is like our radar right here, the Word of God. It keeps us from a crash landing. It keeps us stable in troubled times when we're looking to the Lord. Well, Pastor, how do I do that? You know, well, if we inquire of the Lord, 
You know, you have to do it by faith. It doesn't just come on you like that. You have to accept it by faith. A lot of times, let me tell you something. God's talking to you whether you know it or not. He's speaking daily to every one of us. He's talking to us. Could have fooled me, Brother Keith. Well, the Holy Spirit's voice sounds a lot like your voice. Because he's in there. Okay? Now, Holy Spirit's like an underwater. Am I right? Now, if I took this, uh, let's see, we took this water container. There's water in here, right? And I took two glasses. Use, use your, your mind right now, in your imagination. And I had, say, two empty glasses up here. And I poured water in both of these glasses, right? And then I took the two glasses that have water in them, and I poured them into each other, back and forth, back and forth. You can never separate that water again. It's now one. You, you've put them in there. You've mixed them. You can't separate them. The Bible says, if any man be joined to the Lord, he is one spirit with him. The Holy Ghost is so a part of you, you might think it's just you. Okay? Because the way he communicates is not with fireworks and bells and whistles going off. You know? <laughs> it's the still, small voice. Sometimes you think, that could be just me. But see, the primary job of the Holy Spirit is not just to convict you, okay? Some people preach as if the only thing that he convicts you, right? Well, his primary job is to lead you and to guide you into all truth. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in you. No difference. Holy Ghost doesn't have twins. There's not two Holy Spirits. The same Holy Spirit that was in Christ Jesus, anointed, is now on the inside of us. Think about that. The same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. Okay? So, man, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm born again. What's that mean? Holy Spirit. Is there a little a piece of the Holy Spirit in my right arm right here and that's it? No. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. I have the Holy Ghost in my fingers and my arms and my legs and my chest and my legs. Amen? All the way down to my feet. The Holy Spirit is in you wall to wall inside of you. Okay? And if you inquire of Him, if you ask Him, He will tell you. He will show you things. Right? He wants you to be able to come to Him even about your problems. You can say to the Lord, Father, I'm I'm upset about this situation. I don't know what to do about this. And the Lord appreciates your honesty. Are you with me? I've gone to the Lord before and said, Father, I don't understand the situation that's going on. Matter of fact, I'm baffled by it, but I'm asking for your wisdom right now. I believe that wisdom, the Bible says it's the principal thing. It's the number one thing, wisdom. When Peter spoke out and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he got wisdom. Information that came via the Spirit of God. He got that. Okay? So whatever it is that you're facing in your life, your individual life, God is so concerned about you and what you're going through. He cares for you, each one of you individually. He loves you that much. 
And he wants to encourage you. That's one of his main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to encourage you, admonish you, lift you up. Just like you had a person that was so ultra positive that was with you all the time. And no matter how dark of a situation, they'd pat you on the back and say, it's, it's going to be all right, honey. It's going to be all right. We're going to come through. If a person did that, you'd be like, that's a good friend. Well, the Bible says we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We have the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. 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 You're the best friend we could ever have. Hallelujah. You're the best friend we could ever have. Praise the Lord. You know, it was said of Abraham, I'm kind of prophesying this right now, it was said of Abraham that he was called the friend of God. It says that, didn't it? We've sang that song, I am a friend of God. Jesus said, you're my friends now. Well, the truest friend, a true friend will never leave you or forsake you or turn their back on you. You know, you've heard the phrase, a fair-weathered friend. They're only friends with you when it can be to their advantage. And I'm sure you've all experienced that. Okay? That's not fun, is it? The Lord is not a fair-weathered friend. He is committed to you. He has a covenant with you. He is there to stay with you thick and thin through all the hard places, all the rough places, all the good places. He is there 24 hours out of seven days, 24-7. He's there. Praise God. And He's there to keep you uplifted. See, the only way... I've been discouraged more times than I'd like to think. I could raise both hands and both feet, and that's still not enough. When I've yielded to discouragement, right? But those days are fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. Amen? I'm talking about years ago, right? Oh, discouraged. Well, man, get at least one day out of the week I feel encouraged. Well, the problem was I was walking by sight instead of by faith. When you walk by sight, crash landing. And the Lord had to school me out of getting up. Get your eyes off the natural. Get your eyes off the flesh. Get your eyes off your bank account. Get your eyes off your physical body. Get your eyes off those wayward family members, right? And get your eyes on me. Get your eyes on me. When you get your eyes on me, then it's going to be stable. Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the middle of a storm at peace, at rest, while the disciples are freaking out. Okay? And that same Jesus is on the inside of us. And even in the midst of the greatest storms of life, you can have peace in your heart because you know He's with you. We, uh, we use the, 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 the phrase, Kelly, why don't we go there for a second here. In Genesis chapter 39, um, oh, I feel the presence of God this morning. My, my, my. I'll drink to that. Glory to God. Now, if you're listening, it's not alcohol, it's water. <laughs> if you're on the phone line, amen? Not talking about alcohol. I got the new wine, amen? But in Genesis 39, verses 1, we saw that we talked about this last week. It says, Now Joseph was brought down into Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain over the guard, an Egyptian brought him from the hands of the Ishmaelites. Now, which brought him down thither. Verse 2. And the Lord, now first of all, 
Joseph was a slave, right? His brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites carried Joseph down into Egypt to be a slave. And when they chose a slave in Egypt, they would strip you down completely naked, no clothes on. They would examine you like an animal to see how, you know, you could be used for their purposes. Okay? Slavery. And it says, And the Lord was with Joseph when he was a slave. And he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, Kelly, bring up verse 2 in the NLT for a second here. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. Oh, wait. Okay, is that the new one? And the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. All right? Everybody say bad situation. Okay. Now, I've had some bad days, but I've never been sold into slavery. Amen? If you're a slave, back then you lost all self-privileges. You had no rights. You had no privileges. Nothing. You were the property of somebody else. Okay? Everything you had belonged to that Pharaoh, right? But it says the Lord was with Joseph at his lowest point. Amen? And here's something interesting. I'll kind of throw this out to you. But you know, the Lord made known about Jesus. You know where I'm going with this. The Lord made known out loud where people could hear it two places. Once at the baptism of John, which happened to be the lowest place, because it's right next to the Dead Sea, at the lowest point on the earth, the Dead Sea. The Jordan River, it was right before it flowed into the Dead Sea because that's what fed the, uh, the Dead Sea, okay? And what, the reason it was dead is because there was an inlet but no outlet. That's another revelation, right? Where the Sea of Galilee up north, that had an inlet and an outlet and there was living creatures in there. But the Dead Sea, all the water would flow into it but there was no outlet so everything died, okay? But the Lord... Remember when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan? That was the lowest point on the earth. Okay? And, uh, and the Lord said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember that? And everybody heard it, right? Well, at the lowest point on earth, God spoke and said, This is my Son. But also, a few years later, just a couple years later, he was on top of Mount Hermon where the, the, the Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus up there. That's the highest point in Israel. And that's when Peter said, he said, uh, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's make a tabernacle, you know, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And there came a voice out of heaven, same thing, same voice, God, and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Now, there's Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. But God didn't say, this is my beloved. He didn't say, hear ye them. He said, hear ye him, Jesus. Because Hebrews says, you know, he's spoken in past times about the prophets and so forth. But in these last days, he's spoken us through his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things. Listen to him. So at, at the lowest point and at the highest point, God will stay with us and speak to us during those times and all in between. Are you with me now? So even in your lowest hour, in your lowest place in your life, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, man. 
there is a comforter. And he comforts through words, by speaking. Does he want to speak today? Of course he does. Will we have ears to hear what the Spirit says? That's up to us. Okay? Much of the time we block God, not knowingly, but we block him from speaking to us when he's trying to communicate to us because we're looking for the spectacular instead of the supernatural. See, the supernatural, it's still supernatural. You know, for example, uh, Lynn and I, we were talking about this just the other day, and it's just like the Spirit of God just breathed on me something he told me way back. But, you know, we were talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, you know. No wonder the devil hates that so bad because it's a language from heaven. Amen? Now, stay with me. Listen to this. (laughs) why is speaking in tongues so supernatural because God is taking your voice your vocal cords right and he's speaking through you a language you never learned before a language from heaven a heavenly language so the enemy tries to deceive Christians to think oh you're just making those words up Listen, when I was unsaved, I never spoke with tongues. I never heard of sinners speaking with tongues. So, I wanted to say that to say this. Every time you as a believer... Now, they, the Israelites got used to the manna, right? They got tired of it. But you have to understand, every day there was a miracle. Every single morning, bread from heaven. Jesus, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and they perished, but I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Those were all types and shadows of the real bread, Jesus Christ. I'm the living water. Amen? Hallelujah. And, uh, but they got acclimated, used to the miracle provision of manna every day to the point where they were like, eh, we're tired of this. Now, I say that to say this. We can get to the point, even as spirit-filled believers, after so many years of being filled with the Holy Ghost, we kind of lay it aside. But listen, every time you open your mouth and you speak in other tongues, you're talking about an active, working miracle in place. And if we know that and understand that, it will instantly stimulate us like, whoa. Because I'm like, Shablando Crestil, Marande, Lebec, Riesundo, Bagar, Neci, Etucum, and Angle Gedesia, Frudigestia, Zangre de Gibastia, and Lugutunuskia, Sasaya. Do I understand? I don't understand a word I just said. <laughs> well, what good is it then, Brother Keith? Well, God understands it. The Bible says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. But the Bible says you build yourself up by praying in the Holy Spirit. But one of the ways you build yourself up is you're like, I couldn't do that apart from a miracle. When I was first baptized with the Holy Ghost in 1989, and uh, not 89, in 19, whenever it was, it was in the 80s. But I, I was working in a, I told you this before, but I was working in a paper factory making, you know, 
printed stuff, you know, and all that. I was right out of high school, you know. Well, during that time, I went to a revival meeting, got filled with the Holy Ghost, got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues. I wasn't raising my hand for it. I was in the middle of a church service. At the end of the church service, an evangelist named Brian Rudd was sharing the Word of God. So many people, hundreds of people came forward to get saved. And when I saw that, the Holy Spirit fell on me just like he fell on Peter at the house of Cornelius. And I spoke with tongues. I started speaking fluently in tongues. Now, there was other people around me. People were worshiping God, so I wasn't making a spectacle of myself. But I sat there in my pew in the middle of that. There was three sections, left, middle, right. I was in the middle section right there at the uh, Assembly of God where I was attending at that time, you know. And, um, and as I, uh, as I, 1979 is when it was, yeah. And um, I was off by 10 years. <laughs> and um, and I, as I was... I was there, you know, I started speaking, oh, and I'll tell you the truth, I felt intoxicated, I felt, but it felt so good, I felt drunk, I never even heard of the terminology being drunk with the Spirit, I didn't know, I never heard of that before, but I felt so good, hallelujah, and we left that service that night, and I was in the car with my, my good friend that I led to the Lord, and my sister, and I was praying in tongues, and Man, we were just rejoicing, you know. The next day, I got up and went back to work that morning early, you know. And then we would have like 10-minute coffee breaks, you know, during the day, during the morning. I would go back into the back room where all the paper was, you know, the storage room and everything, get some quiet. I would go back there into the restroom. I would be like, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm speaking in this language. And I noticed that I could do it anytime I wanted some people have taught, you know, you can only pray in tongues, you know, when the Spirit hits you and you feel the tingle in your spine, you know, and then you can speak with tongues. No, no, no. You can talk in English. You can talk in English anytime you want, right? You can start and stop anytime you want. Well, God has given us the ability to start and stop anytime we want praying in the Holy Spirit. We're the custodian over that particular gift. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, every time... Every time you open your mouth and you pray with tongues, that's a working miracle. Someone says, show me a miracle and I'll believe God. Well, open your mouth and speak with tongues. So it keeps doubt out. It keeps it out. It's like, wait a second. I'll be bold about it because I know it's the truth of the word of God. There's too many people, too many wimpy leaders in the body of Christ that throw the Holy Ghost out the window. Don't talk about tongues. Don't talk about the gifts of the Spirit. My God, you're throwing out the third member of the Trinity in your church. Okay? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. I'm not. Have people abused it? Of course. But that doesn't do away with the real thing. There's counterfeit money out there, but that does keep you from spending your money. Amen? Hallelujah. So every time, every time when doubt hits you, you open your mouth. Well, pastor, how do I know? Somebody, somebody said that to me years ago. How do I know I'm not making up those words? I felt like slapping them. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Because that's not the first time they said that. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Get their attention. These religious spirits got to be cast out. I'm telling you, you can't play with them. They got to be cast out, right? These religious demons and devils that come and try to talk people out of the things of God. 
But let me tell you something. Tongues is a supernatural, miracle-working language for every single believer. Every believer. And as you prayed that out, what are the, why do I speak in a language I don't understand? Well, God understands it. All right? Now, I've been around other people before that spoke Chinese, didn't understand a lick of what they were saying. Now, if they said chopsticks, I understand that. Okay? But Japanese, I've heard Japanese. My aunt's, my aunt's is actually Japanese. She's in her 90s now. She's from Japan. Married my uncle, you know, who just want to, want to be with the Lord. And um, I've heard Spanish. I don't understand Spanish. I've heard French. I took French in high school. You know? The only reason I took French is because a lot of hockey players spoke French, so I wanted to speak French. You never knew that, Dan, did you? Until right now. No, I never, I never. Now, these are, all, these are all valid languages in the earth today. I don't understand them per se. I mean, you could try and learn and so forth, but just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not a valid language. Are you with me now? And just because you don't understand a particular language doesn't disqualify that language. It's a real language. Paul said, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. There's tongues of men, there's tongues of angels, praise the Lord. But the primary, I think one of the primary benefits of praying in tongues is when you get in a low spot in life. You know, there's nothing more frustrating. You know, you got your cell phone, you're on a conversation with somebody, you're in your car, then you hit a low spot. You're like, hello, you still there? Did you hang up? Are you there? Then there's a dead signal, right? How many have done that before, you know? All right. Listen, even, I never said this till right now, but even in those low spots in your life, you think you've lost communication with God, he's still right there. He's like, I'm right here. I didn't leave you. Just open your mouth. Shambro Okay, that's a miracle. I can't do that apart from the Lord. So if the Lord took the Holy Spirit from you, you couldn't speak in that language. You'd be like, are you with me? You couldn't do it. You couldn't speak. But because you're able to speak, that, that's proof that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. Okay? What time is it here? Why does time go so fast? I only got into one-tenth of my message, the opening scripture, and that was it. But that's okay. <laughs> Amen? The Lord wants to encourage us today that you're never alone. You're never by yourself. He never leaves you or forsakes you. So even in the process of what you're going through right now, access Him. Access the Holy Spirit. Ask for wisdom. I pray that every day. Oh, God, I pray for my family and my church members. I lift you up by name. I say, Father, give us wisdom today. Breathe in us your thoughts. That's what Peter had wisdom when he spoke out. And every day we can have his wisdom. Are you with me now? And that's what encourages us. That's what keeps us getting up in the morning and say, 
It might be raining outside, but the sun's behind the clouds. I know God has a plan. God has a purpose. I'm not going to become weary and well-doing for in due season I'll reap if I faint not. That's what Paul told the church of Galatia. He says, let us not be weary as we have an opportunity to do good. Let us do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. And let us not be weary and well-doing for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Quit. Give up. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I feel led to pray. Father, I pray right now for such clarity. We know that you said you speak to us, that the Holy Spirit talks to us. He has a voice. He leads us into all truth. But I pray that we would have such clarity starting this moment, moving forward into this week, Father, that we would have such clarity that the voice of the world and the things of the world will fall by the wayside. People's, man's opinions, man's thoughts, man's words don't amount to anything. It's your word that really amounts to what I need. I pray that we would have such clarity this week, Lord, we would hear the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and a stranger's voice we will not follow. I thank you, Lord, for open eyes, open ears. I pray for revelation. Where Paul even said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I pray that you give us visions and revelation from heaven this week, Father. All the hearers that are here and even those listening by way of conference call right now, I pray that we would have such clarity and distinction between the world's voice and your voice. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.